Imagine being present, calm, and connected while creating a family environment where everyone can thrive. Welcome to the I Am Mom Parenting Podcast, providing inspiration and actionable steps to manifest the meaningful and magical life you desire for you and your family. We are your hosts, Dimple Aurora, founder of Mindful Evolution and Shaista Fateli, founder of Thrive Kids. Thank you for sharing the I Am Mom journey with us. Let's get started. Hi, welcome back to the I Am Mom podcast. I'm your host, Dimple Aurora. On this podcast, we talk a lot about health and how to optimize your lifestyle and your nutrition and your mindset in order to create the magical life that you desire for you and your family and a life where everyone in your family environment can thrive. Now, we cannot do this unless we are getting deep, restorative, and restful sleep. So today in this episode, I'm going to discuss some basic sleep hacks that can assure you that you're going to have a good night of slumber every night. We're going to talk about why we sleep and actually what's happening in the body while we're sleeping. We're going to talk about the stages of sleep and the hormones involved in sleep. And then I'm going to go into my best tips on how to get the best restorative night sleep. I often hear from women that they are not sleeping well, and that affects your quality of life in so many ways. It affects your cognitive ability, your physical functioning, your immune system. And there are so many factors that are involved in sleep. And so in this episode, I want to do my best to make sure that you have all the basic tips to get yourself a deep and restful state of slumber every night. Now, last week, we released an episode, which was an EFT tapping meditation that you can do before sleep in order to relax, in order to lower your cortisol levels, which I'm going to talk about in this episode. And I hope that you will go back and give it a try so that you can achieve a very, very restful state of sleep and fall asleep easily. I was using that meditation with my daughter for so many years and we do it every single night. Now, up until the last few years, I've always been a night owl. And in my 20s and 30s, I did not prioritize sleep at all. But I learned that in order for us to show up at the level of productivity and performance and consciousness that we desire in order to elevate our lives and in order to move forward, we need to make sleep a priority. And especially if we want to add healthy years to our lives. Now, our sleep is influenced by so many factors, your hormones, your sleep routine, your sleep environment, your lifestyle, your brain's response to stress, which is very important, stimulus, and even your genes. But every person is unique. So it's best to identify your own personal needs and build from there. So to have a better indication of your sleep, you can look at things like 
a DNA test, uh, a sleep study, a wearable technology device that tracks your sleep. And actually, Dr. Michael Bruce, who's known as the sleep doctor, he has an excellent personality quiz that actually allows you to figure out your sleep uh, chronotype. And I will put that link in the show notes for you to check out that quiz because it was very interested. I came out as a bear. My husband came out as a bear. And apparently we have four traits that are more prominent. We are extroverted, friendly, easy to talk to. We like the idea of being healthy and kind people. And so the other chronotypes are listed uh, on his website. So I'll put the link for that and you can check it out. Now, I want to talk about why, why do we even sleep, right? It's fundamental to our well-being and both physical and mental development, especially for our kids. They're creating so many neural connections and a lot of it happens when we sleep. And when we don't sleep, we can get very sick. Our immune systems are compromised. Our cognitive functions are compromised. And lack of sleep has been associated with a wide range of negative health consequences, such as depression, anxiety, type 2 diabetes, higher risk for obesity, impaired thinking and memory. So we want to make sure that we're really optimizing our sleep. And especially for women who are in menopause or perimenopause, I'll have to do an entire episode on that. Maybe I'll call in the sleep doctor for that episode. But in the meantime, let's make sure that we are not taking our sleep for granted and that we are truly starting with the basics to create an optimal sleep environment for ourselves. Now, why do we even sleep? I mean, of course, we want to conserve our energy resources, but it provides the body with an opportunity to repair and rejuvenate itself. So many of the restorative functions like muscle growth and tissue repair and protein synthesis and growth hormone, they release mostly during sleep. So it's also imperative for our cognitive function, and it does play a huge role in memory and learning again, especially for our kids. Now, you'll notice if you don't have a good night's sleep, many of us will experience low productivity, brain fog. Uh, we're not even sometimes hungry, or sometimes we even overeat when we're sleepy. So it's very important for our metabolic function as women to be able to get a good night's sleep. First, let's look at what's happening to the body during sleep. So multiple parts of the brain are involved in producing hormones and chemicals that regulate our sleep and our wakefulness. And as you fall asleep, your body temperature drops, your brain activity slows down, although there's much activity happening in your body and your brain, and your energy expenditure is lower. And there's five stages of sleep. So you go through multiple stages in a night and one cycle is around 90 minutes. Seven to nine hours of sleep is the most common recommended amount of sleep. 
During the first two stages of sleep, it's easier to be awakened. But once you get to stage three, your brainwave slows down and there's a distinct slower pattern that's different from your brain waking activity. So the deeper sleep, it helps to play a role in regeneration of the body and helping you with your thinking and your memory. Now, during your last stage of sleep, that's your REM sleep. And that's where your body, except the eyes and your breathing muscles, experience a temporary paralysis, which I find so interesting. That's where most intense dreams take place. So if you're a person that dreams a lot, you're getting a lot of REM sleep. This is a stage that's essential for the brain and plays a key part in memory and learning. And a lot of children and young children tend to have a lot of dreams. Now, when it comes to the brain activity, when you wake up, your brain switches from delta waves to theta waves. And I have to put this in here. Your brain is in a prime, prime state when you wake up in the morning because you have access to the subconscious mind. You're in a prime state for subconscious programming. And that state, that first hour in the morning, if you pick up your phone or you start loading your mind with things that are not relevant to creating the magical life that you want to live, then what happens is you start to program your subconscious mind with the fear, the negativity, all of the negative stuff that's brought in from our environment. Like if you pick up your phone and start looking at the news, first of all, you're disrupting that beautiful theta state you're disrupting your beautiful sleep and slumber that you just woke up from. And that subconscious mind, it's, it's connected to your creativity, your intuition. It's a repository for your memories and your emotions. And so you're, you're changing into these beautiful theta waves, which is really strong when you have internal focus, meditation, prayer, spiritual awareness. So it reflects the state between wakefulness and sleep. And it's a beautiful time. If you can stay off your phone and away from negativity in the first one hour after you wake up, you will be doing yourself a huge, huge favor. Now let's talk about hormones involved in sleep. And actually, first I'll talk about the two main factors that control your sleep. One is your circadian clock. Okay. And one is your homeostatic sleep pressure. So your, your circadian rhythm is determined by when you experience sleepiness and when you experience wakefulness. Usually as the light gets dimmer and it gets darker outside, you will start to produce melatonin, which plays a role in your circadian clock. So melatonin starts to be produced at night and it actually turns off in the morning. So 
what you want to do a few hours before bedtime is you want to start dimming the lights so your body can start producing melatonin because we have so many artificial lights now. But the most important thing in regulating your circadian clock is to get light into your eyes in the first hour when you wake up. The first hour or two when you wake up, you want to be able to get light into your eyes in the daytime so that your body will stop producing the melatonin and then your body will know to stay awake. And then at night, when it starts to get darker, your body will then know that it's time to sleep. Now I was born at 1224 AM. So I always say that my circadian rhythm was reversed at birth because I've always been this night owl. And it's only until the last few years that I realized I can no longer be a night owl. Night owl. So now the other thing is your homeostatic sleep pressure. So when you wake up, you're supposed to be very energetic. And as the day goes on, you get tired and there's this buildup of sleep pressure. And if you don't sleep that night, then the pressure builds up even more. So in order to sleep, you need high sleep pressure and you need to be regulating your circadian rhythm. Now plays a role in sleep pressure. So higher serotonin may contribute to higher sleep pressure. Now it's a chemical precursor to melatonin, which is the main hormone involved in sleep. A lot of parents and kids will come to me and say that they're not sleeping well, and they have put their kids on melatonin. But the key here is to ensure that your child is getting proper light into their eyes in the daytime when they first wake up, even for 10 or 20 minutes, even standing in front of a window, opening the door, going onto your deck or your balcony for a few minutes, that's going to help reset your circadian clock. Okay. Now it's just like we have a circadian rhythm for eating. You know, we eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner at certain times hormones have their own rhythm as well. It starts production in your body as soon as light exposure decreases. Okay, so that's why we want to make sure like in it, we are in an environment, a darker environment at night, so that our body can start producing melatonin. And, and there are tons of sleep disrupting lights that can mess with our melatonin production. So what you want to do is use a dim table lamp in your room instead of the bright overhead lights in the hours before bed, right? You want to avoid looking at your screens. Now, this is a huge one. Screens such as smartphone or television, at least two hours before bed, we should be cutting these things off. But most of us do not do that. And what happens is it does affect our melatonin production, our sleepiness, and even the amount of restorative sleep that we get. Now, it's very difficult in today's society to stay disciplined and to stick to this. But if you can, you will be doing yourself 
wonders. Now, I did for one week try not going on my phone at night before bed, and I woke up feeling completely different and energetic, even though I was sleeping enough, than when I did go onto my screen before bed. Now, what you can do is you can get blue light blocking glasses that you can wear two or three hours before bed if you are on a screen. And you can also buy blackout curtains and close them so that you can not, you know, not get any light when you are going to sleep. You can turn off your hallway lights and any night light, you know, in your hallway or your bathroom or your child's bedroom, you don't have to turn on bright overhead lights. You can just use the night light in the bathroom or in the hallway. I don't recommend a night light in a child's room just because I believe that we should be sleeping in dark rooms. Now, I understand that some young children want to have a night light and that's okay, but I do feel that although not directly, it probably is affecting their sleep. Another thing you can do is to use a sleep mask uh, to cover your eyes during sleep so that you're, ex you're eliminating external light so sources. Some people say, why can't I just take a supplement, take the melatonin? We can produce, if we can produce a hormone naturally, why would we want to take a synthetic version of that, homer, of that hormone, right? So there are other hormones that play a role in our uh, sleep cycles. So cortisol and adrenaline must go up in order to wake up. So if we don't prioritize our sleep, what happens is our bodies switch the program around, around. So we end up with high cortisol at night and low cortisol in the morning, making us feel sluggish and tired. Now, cortisol is the hormone that's produced through the adrenal glands when we're stressed out. Now, what's happening is many people are chronically stressed. So they have cortisol running through their bloodstream at all times. So we want to do things that actually help us to relax in the evening, especially during the hours of 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Now, from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m., according to the Chinese body clock, that is a time when the spleen is most active. So it's very healthy to do something that is restorative and soothing during that time. If you're working late in the hours of 9 p.m. to 11 p.m., that could affect your sleep quality. You want to be able to strengthen your spleen during that time by doing relaxing activities. So I use tapping before I go to bed. Some people listen to guided meditations. Some people do bedtime yoga. Reading a book is an excellent, excellent way to relax. Drinking a cup of non-caffeinated herbal tea or a warm beverage is a beautiful way to relax. Having intimacy with your partner is a beautiful thing to do before bed, releases a lot of oxytocin and gives you that 
feeling of relaxation. Some people take warm showers. Now I know a lot of parents will give their child a warm shower. What research is starting to show is that cold showers are now even more beneficial than warm showers before bed because we want to drop our body temperature before bed. Now I haven't tried this one. I do use cold water therapy in my day. I do use the Wim Hof method of uh, breathing and uh, cold plunge, but I've never tried it before bed, but people say it does help you to fall asleep faster. Now, other neurotransmitters that play a role in sleep are GABA, which promotes calm, acetylcholine, and serotonin, which you probably have heard of. Now, a lot of people who have anxiety and depression, they may be low in serotonin, and that affects their sleep and their sleep quality. Usually, uh, people who are overthinking or they feel depressed they may have a problem with GABA or serotonin. Now, now what you want to make sure is that a person does feel relaxed before bed. And also, according to their nutrient profile, if they're deficient in certain vitamins and minerals, they may have trouble sleeping as well. Now, if you look at the sleep environment, yes, you want to have a dark room, but also you want to look at the layout of the room. You want to make sure that it's clutter free because when you live in clutter, you cannot have a clear mind in order to fall asleep. You want to make sure that you're on sleeping on a proper mattress, one that is conducive to your body, one that is not giving off uh, toxic chemicals, such as the off gassing that is experienced from some of the mattresses, you want to make sure that it's comfortable that you have the right pillow, that your pillow is not too big or small for your neck. I know some people don't even sleep with a pillow, you want to make sure that your body is in the correct alignment so that you can have a good uh, sleep. Also, other things that can affect your sleep are even toxicity or things like if you have infections and viruses in your gut or in your body. So for example, parasites are very active at night and can affect your sleep quality. So there's a lot of... Now, when it comes to diet and lifestyle, I want to talk about two things caffeine and alcohol. Now I spoke to a woman the other day who came to me said she's had trouble sleeping for years. But when we went through her diet, she was having a cup of tea every night at 7pm and was claiming that caffeine does not affect her. Now caffeine has a half life of about eight to 12 hours. So in order to digest and metabolize caffeine, it takes that much time to, in order to get half of it out of your body. So if you want to go to bed around 10 p.m., the latest that you should be having caffeine without having it affect you is around 1 or 2 p.m. Now, I haven't drank any caffeine for the last decade only because I want to know my true energy levels at all time. And I also don't want my adrenals to work harder than they have to work. So 
if you wait 90 minutes after you wake up to drink your caffeine, it's a good time to get the most effective results from your caffeine. If you need to have another cup, really time it knowing the half-life of caffeine so that you can have only half or left or less left in your system by the time it's ready, you're ready to go to bed. Now, there's a chemical called adenosine, and it's believed to play a central role in your sleep-wake homeostasis. So it builds up when we're awake, resulting in that sleep pressure that you feel later on in the day. But caffeine is what suppresses this. So that's why it promotes wakefulness. So if you're having a lot of caffeine throughout your day, in order to get through the day, you're not going to be experiencing that sleep pressure that you need in order to fall asleep and have a very good quality sleep. Okay. The next thing is alcohol. Now, often alcohol is used as a sleep aid. People say, oh, I needed a glass of wine to relax. But the thing is, how well you metabolize your alcohol. I mean, it depends on how toxic you are at the time. It also depends on your genes. The best time you should be drinking alcohol for it to metabolize the best tolerance they say is three to 7pm. Now, that's not the ideal time that most people drink alcohol. Now, happy hour is usually during that time. That's why they call it happy hour. But there's an enzyme that's produced by the liver and it's responsible for metabolizing the bulk of alcohol that's consumed in your body. And if you don't have enough of that enzyme, then you're not going to metabolize your alcohol well before bed. So it's best to stop drinking probably three hours before bed. And a lot of times, you know, if you have a night of drinking, which I'm not sure many moms at this age are, but if you do have a night with your girlfriends or you're out on the town and you do have a night of drinking, it's really beneficial to load your body up with some electrolytes and B vitamins before you go to sleep so that you can prevent your body from waking up tired, sluggish and hungover. Okay. Maybe you can pass this information on to anybody, you know, that would need it, but that is the reason that alcohol is not good before bed. And it's not really um, a great aid for sleep. And if you have a suboptimal detoxification profile, you're gonna, you're gonna have a lot of trouble detoxing that alcohol before you go to bed. And even things like environmental agents like pollution and and perfume and household chemicals, these things all cause cellular inflammation and which is the hallmark of all chronic disease. So if cellular information, inflammation is there in your body, your body's working really hard at night to detoxify. And you will, even though you've had a great night of sleep, or you think you've had a great night of sleep, you can still wake up feeling really tired and really sluggish and really unrested. And you will have difficulty completing your task during the day. So definitely watch your caffeine and alcohol intake. Now, 
one thing that can also help is having a sleep routine. Okay. So for example, I have a sleep routine. I call it my closing ceremonies. Actually, my husband calls it my closing ceremonies where I brush my teeth. I wash my face. I ended up doing, uh, I end up doing a gratitude practice with my daughter. And then we do the tapping exercise. A lot of times I want to read before bed, but I find that I never get to it. I've never scheduled it into my routine and I'm quite happy with the routine I have. Now you want to do anything that relaxes you. Like I said, between those hours of nine to 11 PM, sometimes women will tell me that the best time or the only time they have to complete their exercise is before bed. But again, if you're doing heavy cardio or any aerobic exercise before bed or too close to bed, what's that doing to your body? It's reducing. So what you want to do is exercise that is restorative, calming, such as bedtime yoga or something that is more conducive to relaxation, breath work, uh, walking but not heavy exercise, okay? Not anything that's going to increase your cortisol levels to the point where it's affecting your sleep. Now, another thing that I wanna point out is if you're still having trouble after doing all of this, looking at your sleep environment, uh, looking at your sleep routine, looking at your diet and your lifestyle. So if you're still having trouble after all of this, you could have a genetic predisposition to lower quality sleep. You can also maybe have a sleep disorder. So for example, a disorder like sleep apnea. I am seeing more and more kids with this condition. Uh, restless leg syndrome can also impact your sleep. And definitely what you're eating before bed can impact your sleep it is best to not have to work on digestion when you're going to sleep. So if you're eating two to three hours before bed, that is optimal. If you are eating too close to bedtime, then your body's more focused on digesting that food rather than restoring and repairing your body. A lot of cultures, or not a lot, some cultures will have dinner very, very late. I know of some families who have dinner at 10 p.m. That's not ideal for your children because their bodies are one, digesting food. It's gonna affect their quality of sleep when they should be eating no later than two to three hours before bedtime. And that's gonna give them the opportunity to, to digest their food and then their body can focus on restorative activities during sleep. Now, if you do need supplements to help you with sleep, I would say the number one supplement to start with is magnesium. Why take a sleeping pill when you can take something like magnesium? Most of us are magnesium deficient. And I have an entire episode coming up on the benefits of magnesium. Magnesium can improve your sleep quality because it binds to your GABA receptors, which is the neurotransmitter that is responsible for reducing restlessness and promoting calm within the body. It promotes 
calm and lessens overthinking and lessens worry. Magnesium is so important for so many functions in the body. It's responsible for, I think, six to 800 different functions in the body. It's responsible for helping you to relax and keeping you, uh, giving you the ability to deal with stress. And it actually is directly linked to insomnia. So I really say start with magnesium. There are many different forms of magnesium. Magnesium glycinate is the best form for sleep because it has magnesium and it has glycine, which is a sleep inducing amino acid. So definitely start with magnesium if you are having trouble with insomnia. And if you don't know that you're magnesium deficient, you may be because there are so many things that could deplete your magnesium. For example, your stress levels, your cortisol levels, your medications can deplete your magnesium. The birth control pill can deplete your magnesium. So there's many, many ways that you can become magnesium deficient. And in fact, our soil is even deficient of enough magnesium. So it is the fourth most abundant mineral in the body. So we want to make sure that we have enough of it. And it really does impact our sleep and our ability to fall asleep and stay asleep longer. Now, I want to talk about some other herbs and supplements. So there are herbs that people use to fall asleep, such as passiflower or valerian root. They're very effective. I'm not sure how effective they are in the long term. If you're doing all of these things and you still cannot sleep, then you got to really look at what's going on in your life with your emotions, with your body in terms of toxicity and uh, viruses and infections that have maybe are uh, being activated within the body. And a lot of it has to do with toxicity. So I also want to bring up the point that uh, Ayurvedic medicine, they usually recommend to drink a warm glass of milk before bed. Now, that's a long standing tradition. I, I know when we were growing up, our mom made us do that as well. And I think that she still promotes that. Now, the reason being is because milk has a lot of sleep promoting nutrients such as tryptophan, which is used by the body to produce melatonin. However, it can rise your blood glucose levels and it can cause more mucus in the body. And I personally have never done this for my daughter. Now, a better alternative is to drink a warm beverage that is dairy free or like something like a herbal tea without caffeine. So chamomile tea is known to have sedative property properties for relaxing and soothing the body, uh, peppermint tea, anything that relaxes and calms the body. One more thing I also wanted to bring up before I end this episode is the direction of your head when you sleep. So in in feng shui or vastu, there are certain directions that are better for your health. Now, I'm not sure about the feng shui, but I do know in vastu, they say that sleeping with your head in the north is not good because the magnetic pull of the north pole is 
it's slowly pulling all the land masses upwards, apparently, and this can start to affect your body. Eventually, it may lead to a brain hemorrhage and things like that. Now, this is what a famous uh, philosopher and guru Sadhguru talks about. Now, it's interesting because I saw this on one of his YouTube videos, and I have been sleeping with my head in the north since I got married. As soon as I did get married, I got very sick about uh, a month or two after marriage. Now, in 2015, I did have a slight brain hemorrhage. Now, is it from sleeping in the north all these years? I have no idea, but I still sleep with my head in the north. And I haven't figured out a way in our old house or in this new house of how to switch that around. So now take these tips to heart uh, and remember I'm not a doctor, but I do know that these are the recommendations by many of the sleep doctors out there and try them, look at your behaviors and your habits and which ones are working for you and not working for you because our sleep quality is affecting everything in our life including our ability to parent with ease, to give our children that safe and loving environment that they deserve. And in order to do that, we have to be at our best and we have to be able to experience a deep and restful state of slumber every night. So please it, take into consideration what you need to do to optimize your sleep and the the quality of your sleep. And we will definitely have a conversation about this in our Facebook group. Please head on over to join our Facebook group if you're not in our group already, the I Am Mom podcast community. And let me know your thoughts. And you take care and have a very, very good night of sleep. Thank you for joining us on the I Am Mom Parenting Journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow us and head on over to iTunes to leave us a review. We invite you to check out the show notes for this episode and click on the link to join our free Facebook community to stay connected and continue the conversation with other like-minded moms. Until next time, stay inspired, take action, and create magic.